Welcome to Creating Kesha, conversations about connecting. In each episode, I get to have a conversation with one of my colleagues about ideas, concerns, issues, and solutions to improving and deepening our marriages. I'm your host, Lisa Torsky. With me for this episode is Dr. Nachum Klafter, who's a psychiatrist and a psychoanalyst, teaches psychotherapy, and is in practice both in Ohio and New York. Welcome, Dr. Klafter. Hello, Lisa. Nice to be with you again. Yeah. I'm looking forward to our conversation because I feel like it's going to be a very interesting one. You've chosen for us to talk about divorce phobia, which sounds like it should be a good thing. We should all be scared of divorce or we should be avoiding divorce. So, but something tells me that's not the case, that in fact, you're going to tell me it's a bad thing. So how do you explain what? You're stealing my surprise, Lisa. (laughs) Sorry. So, yes, that's, that's the... That's the whole twist that I'm trying to use here, which is a phobia is an unreasonable fear of something which causes dysfunction. Mm -hmm. Like it's good to be careful and not fall, but fear of heights is not helpful. Right. Like no one wants to crash a plane, but fear of flying is not helpful. Right. You know, so this is a phobia of divorce, which means it's an unreasonable fear of divorce that is so strong that it actually prevents people from working on their marriage problems. So tell me how that would come into effect. So are you not referring to, before we get to how that would come into effect, when you say divorce phobia, is that referring only to when it comes into play in terms of working on issues? Or are you also using that term to refer to sort of just if it exists in the person and, you know, is kind of becomes their own obsessional uh, um, dysfunction? Or are you referring you know, to when it becomes between us as a couple in some way? Right. So I think I'm really only talking about it in the way it manifests itself when someone can't address their concerns or needs or, you know, discomfort or feelings of being hurt to their spouse. That's really what I'm talking about. Um, I guess in theory it exists in the person anyway, but that's like how I see it happen. Mm-hmm. And cause that's the thing that a, a fear of divorce would do. You know, if someone is super afraid of divorce, then, I mean, I think no one gets married wanting to be divorced. I mean, divorce is really sad, really difficult. There's a lot of reasons. I mean, people get married because they want to be, you know, in a loving relationship for the rest of their lives. That's why people get married. Right. But if, you know, no marriages are perfect. And if someone is so afraid of the risk of divorce to such an extent that they can't even think clearly about their marriage, then that's what I call a divorce phobia. And also, I think a healthy person should feel, well, look, I love my spouse and I want to stay married, but if, God forbid, things didn't work out, I would land on my feet and I could still be happy and functional. I think that that would be, to me, like the ideal kind of mindset for people to have. If people feel that divorce would be so devastating that it would be the end of their lives or it would be impossible to ever bounce back or impossible to ever like be happy again, then, you know, I think that's a problem. Right. And do people, when you talk about this, do people get confused or push back at the idea and, and not really understand how the, the difference, the nuance between, of course, I don't want to be divorced and, feeling like I could be whole if I had to get divorced. Do do people get that nuance or not so much? 
So I think that I think I think people get that nuance after they've worked through their phobia about divorce. <laughs> um, I think like that's the outcome of good therapy, what you just described. Uh-huh. Um, I think that most people can get that. I think what it really is, is like it's the emotional, like the, the just the crippling emotional fear. Uh, it might be for some people, it's the fear of being alone. Mm-hmm. For some people, it's the fear that of the disgrace that it will bring in my family. For some people, it's the fear that it will be so horrible for my children. For some people, it's the fear that I'll be, you know, banished or stigmatized in the community as a divorced man or a, as a divorced woman. Um, I think there are people have, and then everyone's own individual reasons that have to do with their own parents' marriages, their own childhoods, their own family histories, their own ideas about divorce. Um, a lot of people feel that they will have been a failure, like that if your marriage fails, you are a failure because what's more important than making your marriage succeed. Um, but you know, the real truth is that no single per, no one person can make their marriage succeed. You need two people to make a marriage succeed. Right. So there are certain things out of people's control. So I think the way it usually comes up, the way I've seen it is that someone is in treatment And they're clearly very, very unhappy about something really bad happening in the marriage over and over and over again. And it's been happening a long, long time. And the idea of talking about it with their spouse, saying, you know, I love you. I want our marriage to be happier. But there's something that you repeatedly do or you have continued to neglect to do that is really causing me a lot of unhappiness and distress. I think I could be so much happier and feel better about so many things and probably be better to you also if we could do this differently. And people are not able to do that with their spouses. They're so terrified that the spouse will be furious or the spouse will divorce them or that the spouse will never change anyway. So it's just, they have all kinds of mantras people say why they can't have that conversation. And I find that generally at the bottom of that is a terror of being divorced. And in some people it's that, they can't even admit out loud to themselves or in mentally in their own minds that, you know, this terrible thing happening in the marriage is really a problem. They don't want to believe that there are any real problems in their marriage. Right. So they don't want to think about it. Make some people avoid therapy altogether. I've heard many people say, I can't go to therapy because it will just make me get divorced. Right. You know, I've heard people say things like that. Right, right. That's what therapists do. Um, and it's interesting you're saying that. I want to take a step back for a minute. How do you help someone or how could you help someone um, figure out for themselves, someone maybe listening who's not in therapy, but how do, how do you know, how can someone know is my hesitation, trepidation, difficulty in imagining myself sitting down with my spouse and saying, I'm really distressed about something Due to this divorce phobia, I'm in such a panic over this being the end of the marriage if I do it that I can't because I can't I can't imagine being divorced. And and when is it a, you know, inexperience in knowing how to express oneself, knowing how to express oneself respectfully, feeling confident just in the doing it not necessarily in the fear of the repercussions uh, afterwards. There are a lot of people who are not good at saying what's on their mind. Um, how, how can we help people start to identify themselves? Is this about divorce phobia or is this some other thing that I need to work on? Well, I think that you're you're already... And I I think this is how your mind works. I think you're already like coming up with solutions and a differential diagnosis of the problem. Um, So I think you're, you're, you're jumping right to how to be practical about it. Um, The first step to me would be understanding. I mean, if I'm calling it divorce phobia. So I think if someone is just bad at communicating, like I'm bad at talking to my spouse because I fly off the handle or I'm just sort of, um, you know, ineloquent with my words. Um, then I wouldn't call that a divorce phobia. Then I, I think the person wouldn't have a fear. 
of it. I think that I'm calling it a divorce phobia when even in the therapy, the person can't think straight about it. The person can't let themselves know their feelings. You'll see all kinds of evidence of people shutting down the conversation, changing the topic, forgetting appointments, starting to cry, starting to panic, having panic attacks and dissociation in a session, just thinking about thinking about it or talking about it with me. I mean, the, the spouse isn't here. When you see someone that can't even imagine something, like when someone says, I can't imagine saying that, you know, then I think we say, well, that's interesting. Like, why can't you imagine it? Right. You know, I think that the person literally means like that. It's an expression. The expression is sort of to say it's so unrealistic. I can't even imagine it. But I think it's more literally true. Like I'm unable to imagine that conversation because it's so terrifying and horrifying. So that's when I call it a phobia. Mm -hmm. And then I think, you know, different therapists have different ways of like formulating that. So if someone is a cognitive oriented therapist, um, that they're likely to think about all the sort of unrealistic assumptions or all the unrealistic, like, you know, mind reading that's going to happen. Like they're imagining this conversation will go a certain way, or they think that they know what their spouse really feels, or they think they know, and they don't really have a basis for that. Um, people that are using, using a more emotionally driven modality of therapy, um, including psychodynamic therapies, it's really the same problem of formulating, but they'll think more about like, what is emotionally going on in this client that makes him or her so unable to think clearly about it? And, you know, but I think that both of those really come to the same place. We're trying to help people be able to think it through. So if you're working in a cognitive modality, you're trying to help correct distortions. If you're working in a more emotional modality, you're trying to work through an emotional conflict. But I think that in both cases, you might do very similar things. Role playing is very helpful. Like, okay, like, let me pretend I'm you and you take on the role of your husband and I'll start to, you know, say things and we'll see like that role play will be very distressing in itself for the client. Mm -hmm. Very, very distressing. And so I think that um, really the same tools we use in all other therapies we can use in this. Um, but I think that um, the the like novel idea is it's the fear of divorce that actually makes it more likely someone will have to get divorced because years will go by when they can't address a problem head on and openly. And so like just so much suffering happens for more and more years in the marriage because no one can be open with one another. And that really becomes um, like a tragedy. Right. Right. And, and just to back up when you were saying about role playing, it almost sounds like, you know, the, the, the desensitizing type of, of treatment. Are you in fact really sort of not, maybe not sort of really seeing this as a phobia? Are you conceptualizing it and then working with it as a phobia, as, as you might work with other phobias, like flying? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that, I think that, I mean, that's a very interesting question you're asking. Like, I don't think that I really was consciously thinking of it that way. I think I'm calling it divorce phobia because it's like a uh, an easy way to categorize it. But, but you're right, because I'm doing an exposure therapy. Right, right. But the truth is that if you, if you work with an emotionally based therapy, what you're doing is you're exposing exposing the client to their own uncomfortable emotions. So there is a sort of behavioral exposure component to all those therapies. Right. Yes. I mean, yeah. I don't know that I've, I've talked uh, um, necessarily to people in terms of role playing, but even just sitting with the thought of, and, and if this did, what's alternative right. if not if they that is an exposure because they're having to the person's having to sort of sit with the notion that what what is worse living with what you're living with or addressing it and risking this this you know meltdown this uh, um demand for divorce by the other party the breakdown of the relationship 
even though the relationship's already broken down because I can't talk to you about the things that really pain me. So, but that, that I imagine that this is the real, this is going to really actually do it if we have this conversation. Um, and even asking someone to think of, well, what feels worse makes them sort of sit with the feeling of if that. Really yeah, I think, I think that's a, I think it's a really good way to conceptualize it. And I'm probably going to use that the next time I'm talking about this with somebody. <laughs> another way that another thing that um, you alluded to is that there's sort of like this funny distortion that a lot of people have. I don't mean humorous funny, but like, you know, unusual distortion that is that we're going to have a fight and then we're going to get divorced as though like it's going to happen like in the same conversation. Right. Divorce takes years. It takes years sure. and years to get divorced. Like nobody like has a fight and gets divorced. That like never, ever happened. Ever. It can't happen. You can't get anyone to get you divorced that quickly. I mean, the right. the amount of paperwork you have to do, um, like you can't just, there's not going to be an argument and a divorce. And a lot of people imagine right. that if I bring up how unhappy I am about this, mm-hmm. you, my spouse, will be so offended that you'll leave me and you'll hate me and you'll feel so hurt by it. It's just, it's just not realistic. It's not realistic. And- but people are really afraid of it. Yeah. And I, and I think that, that that comes into a lot of things, you know, people's fears of high emotion, um, especially if they've, for whatever reason, history or personality, t- you know, uh, uh, preference, or if they've lived a lot of shut downness, um, for lack of a better term, that they fear high emotion. You know, if I get in touch with my anger over a particular thing, I'll kill somebody. If I, you know, there's a lot of fear, fantasy, um, when people haven't actually explored their emotional world uh, practically or or actually. There's There's many instances where I see people's fear over what they'll do or what's gonna happen if they let those emotions loose um, right. is way out of proportion to reality. So I, I think you're describing it perfectly. And um, the term that we use for that in psychoanalytic thinking is actually, that's an obsessive compulsive uh, mental structure. Mm-hmm. That affect, emotion and affect is so, you know, it's so unpredictable. It's so powerful. It's so chaotic Mm -hmm. that I cannot let my mind go there. So I have to put my mind on lockdown. And that's ultimately what all obsessions and compulsions are about. They're about like nailing down affect. I can't let that break loose because I'm afraid of what I'll do. Right. And some obsessions are are really exactly that. Like I can't be around knives or see knives Mm -hmm. because I'm some part of me is afraid I'll pick up a knife and stab somebody. Now it's not true. The people that are afraid of that are the last people that would ever pick up a knife and stab someone. People that would do that are not afraid of knives, but you know, they're afraid of their own. They're afraid of their impulses, afraid of their affect. And yes, I think there's a lot of people that are just so afraid of, of aggression and conflict Mm. that the tragedy is like in order to avoid conflict, we'll never make peace. Right. Right. You know, we can't make peace because conflict is so horrible. So you just live in a state of terrible pain and conflict, but you can never talk about it or let yourself know that it's there. I see a similar thing with, you know, victims of trauma of assault that to go to the healing place and allow themselves to get in touch with the deep well of emotion and let's say rage they, they're afraid of their impulses, what they'll do if they get in touch with that traumatic um, driven well of emotion. And so let's just keep it shut. Cause if I get in touch with that anger, I might kill somebody, which again, no, I, you know, been doing this a while and I, it doesn't really work that way. Um, but there's a big fear and, we right. see it all the time with people, I think. Not maybe not all the time, but but not uncommon response. Yeah, I really I I, I really like how you're describing it too. And I, I think again the two major you know, there are all these multiple modalities of therapy, but I do think that they fit into two categories when it comes to really difficult emotions. Mm-hmm. 
uncomfortable affects and emotions, especially aggression, there's like a containing therapy. Like a cognitive therapy is more containing. You're going to help the person make that emotion less severe. You're going to reason through these things, make them realize like you have a fear of this that's really very distorted, very exaggerated. You don't know this. You're making a lot of assumptions that are not true. In fact, a lot of them, we they're not just not necessarily true. They're necessarily not true. They're impossible. And you're going to like really like lower the temperature of the feelings yeah. by doing that. And then the other approach, which is really more my approach, um, is that, no, we're going to really expose you to these emotions in the therapy. It's a safe setting. Mm -hmm. Your spouse is not here. You can't possibly get into a divorce situation talking to me about it. And you're doing it because you want to avoid divorce. Like, it's not going to happen. And so however long that takes, but like those horrible emotions are going to be experienced one way or another. So many therapies do that too. I think EFT is like that. I think IFS is like that. Psychoanalytic and psychodynamic therapies are like that. Somatic therapies are like that. Um, And I think role-playing probably does both. Role-playing probably combines both. I am doing more role-play than I used to Mm -hmm. in really all of my therapies. I think it's very interesting interesting to let someone else like try to channel this other person that they're in a conflict with. It forces them to try to empathize with that person. It forces them to try to really understand what the person is doing. It forces them to mentalize. Right. And I role play like captures a lot of those skills in doing it. Do you find that when you make someone or have someone role play that they in being this other person who they fear is going to just hear their complaint and walk out the door Does it get them, you know, quicker to the realization that that's just not going to happen if they can be that other person? Do they get to more quickly see they wouldn't really just get up and leave forever because I said that if they're being. Yes. Yes, I I think so. I think that they I think it helps them realize that their their fear of what's going to happen is really that they have trouble tolerating their own emotions. Mm. So they're projecting it on to this other person. It's going to be what that person does. I think it helps sort of like um, expose that, you know, what, where the emotion really lies. I, that, that's been my experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's just one, one tool. Right. But it's an interesting one. That's really it's an easy one to do. I mean, it's like role playing is in, in every, you think of how many different types of helping professions use role playing job coaches do it. Bosses do it. Um, you know, in sales, we do role playing. I mean, like role playing is a, is like a basic human, you know, like tool for learning, imagining. I I just think it's just so fascinating. It's, it's a simple one and it really just hits so many of the high notes of, you know, um, uh, uh, bypassing certain resistances. If I'm role-playing and I'm not being me, you're being me, then, right. you know, all of a sudden I'm saying what needs to be said because it's not me saying it's somebody and I get to hear it. I get to embody the other person that I think is going to be unreasonable and realize they're not going to be that kind of unreasonable. And, and, and it just, it, it really bypasses so much, so many things. Um, Another thing that happens in role playing, and it's 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 actually refreshing to discuss role playing because I think a lot of therapists like look down on role playing because it's such a simplistic thing. It's like beneath our dignity as sophisticated therapists to role play. Right. But I, I think you know a helpful tool. But it also lets the therapist start to point out behaviors they've observed in the patient because you can impersonate them. Mm-hmm. And it also, you can, you can show your empathy for the patient as well, because you can explain in your words what the patient is thinking in the role play. Right. So like a lot happens a in lot. some of those roles. A lot happens. I could totally see that now that you're saying it. That's fascinating. Um, yeah, they get, you know, I, I it, it's a little bit, like um, I think it was Dan Weil who works when he works with couples, he gets up next to one or the other spouse and, yeah. and, and becomes inner voice. he becomes the voice so that they don't you know yeah. whatever's holding them back or getting stuck coming out. He sort of gives voice for it. And 
it's super effective because it bypassed. It is. Uh, yeah, I think it's a great technique. I've seen that. I've seen him do that. Then another thing, which is along these lines that I do, is um, I do letter writing with patients. Mm-hmm. We write a letter. Like the letter might never be sent, or maybe it will be sent. Right. Right. But, you know, there, these are, and again, a lot of people think this is silly. This is, you know, childish. This is simplistic. Yeah. It isn't. Like, to write a letter about really painful things to a person that you love but are also very angry at and you're afraid of your anger and you don't want to lose the love, you know, like those are very hard letters to write. Yeah. And that can be a lot of therapeutic work. Well, it could be therapeutic. So I think a yeah, it could be therapeutic to do, but and it also can can give me the sort of that role-playing practice um, because... Yes. Uh, if I'm not sending it, but it's helping me prep for a conversation I think I might want to have, or I'm working up to having, um, the unedited version can go in the letter, but it sort of helps me conceptualize or crystallize what it is I want to say to you or need to say to you. Um, And I'm really glad you brought that up because for the people who aren't necessarily in therapy or don't have somebody that could role play with them, they could still do a letter writing kind of expression that will help them clarify their jumbled worries and troubles in thinking about saying this. I could put on the paper first. I think I, I think I believe that if someone truly suffers from, you know, this syndrome we're talking about, we're calling it divorce phobia, mm-hmm. that they really do need professional help with a therapist and will not be able to get through it alone. I actually don't, th- I think like that's, that's sort of what it means. Like if, if you meet the criteria for this description, I think, I think you need to have a therapist. Mm-hmm. Another, th- uh, now one of the th- other things I wanted to emphasize is that, so let's say all these techniques you're doing and all the therapy, what you ultimately come to is, what is the unreasonable fear? What is this horrible fear of being divorced? Mm. What is the fantasy of what divorce life will be like? Right. Um, because ultimately someone has to have a sense that they could land on their feet and life could go on in order to not be terrified of working on their marriage. Right. If it's so scary to work on your marriage, like we have to figure out what that is. So I think it's ultimately going to come back to what is the person's fear of being alone. And look, I don't want people to have to get divorced. I don't want them to be alone. I mean, I hope that this is going to go well. I don't think that a fear of divorce is an indicator as to how bad the marriage is. Right. I think a fear of divorce is just an indicator that you're going to be really bad at working on your marriage. Mm. That's really like you're just going to really not be good at it until you you're going to be really be inept at working on it. Someone who is confident if they had to be alone could be is going to be much better at working out their relationship issues. Right. And and so you're really talking about two two fronts that need, you know, you have to confront this on two fronts with somebody. One is the, you know, reality check of you know, divorce don't happen from a bad fight, conversation, disagreement, discussion. It, it just doesn't happen like that. So that's sort of one front. And then the other front is how come... Let's, let's, let's just generalize that a little bit more. So, like, it isn't really that dangerous to have this conversation. Exactly. Exactly. It's not really that dangerous. To, that's one version of the fear. Right. But, like, it isn't going to make you more likely to get divorced to, by trying to work on your marriage. Like that shouldn't, there shouldn't be more of a danger. What we're talking about is trying to improve your marriage right. and trying to improve your marriage is not in itself dangerous, really. Right. Right. And, and even a destructive, you know, knock down, drag out, you know, kind of disagreement where there isn't really much, it's just a lot of yelling and screaming, even those don't end a marriage from one. You know what I'm saying? Like if it would, I think sometimes people say, Oh, okay. Like a really, you know, hard conversation that's trying to improve the marriage won't end the marriage. But 
this is going to get out of control and it'll be, you know, not violent, but, you know, loud and angry and it won't really be productive. And, and even those don't end a marriage in the snap of a finger, even then. And I think that's an, well, there, there are, so you said something really important just now. And I, I, one of the things I have found is that in a lot of people with this type of difficulty, there is a fear of violence. There's never been violence. Mm. No, there are marriages with violence and we've, but we're not talking about that within this case. We're not talking about domestic abuse. We're not talking about domestic violence, but there is a fear of violence in a lot of these situations Mm -hmm. and people are afraid they're going to be physically assaulted by their spouse, including husbands who are five times the size and strength of the wife is afraid a husband who is afraid of his wife physically assaulting him. Mm-hmm. Like I have seen this, that that is sometimes the fantasy at the bottom, you know, underneath right. this fear. Right. So I think that might be one of the things that emerges is a fear of violence. Right. And, and even then we need to differentiate, even if we're talking about a case of domestic violence and this, this podcast very specifically is really meant to be addressing, you know, regular, marriages, non, non-domestic abuse marriages, but just to put the point in is that if you really do have to fear a conversation, not because you're divorce phobic, but because there are and Risks it, of real, real repercussions and consequences to raising your distresses, that's a whole different subject matter. And you should also talk to right. somebody professionally um, but don't take the responsibility for being fearful as a, oh, it's my problem. I have divorce phobia. If there really are things that happen when you try and have a conversation, that's not called divo- divorce phobia. We're talking about an irrational fear of or, or a phobia that gets in my way of exploring things where I could and exploring my own the other part of the not practical part, but the, the, the other part that you explore with people, which is so important, which is why don't I feel like I could be on my own two feet without it being catastrophic? Where is that coming from? What's that about? Why is that? Now, now Lisa, I just want to get back to something you just mentioned, though. And, you know, I, I want to defer to your expertise in domestic violence, which is greater than mine, but I have seen numerous situations where one of the things that keeps a spouse in an abusive marriage is fear of divorce. And so you will be often working on divorce phobia in someone who is also suffering domestic violence. Right. I mean, that's often a very big component of people who are trapped in abusive marriage. Right. And and it's, it's, you know, there sometimes is the practical aspect of that, um, which is very real. This person, when I'm, if I'm going to divorce an abusive person or attempt to a, a divorce an abusive person, they will work to do everything possible to make my life an absolute misery as a divorced person. Um, and so there might be some reality to that fear of divorcing because there this person really will, you know, kind of keep the pressure up in every which way. And so we have to differentiate between that divorce phobia, the way you're speaking about it. And is there some practical application, but sometimes I feel like it's a um, dependency issue that being alone yeah. feels worse than being with somebody who mistreats me. That there's a real right. um, personality structure thing going on sometimes where I literally feel worse alone than with somebody who mistreats me. And that's, you know, I, I think that, I think that, um, that that's a possibility. I think sometimes what, will happen is that we'll all be channeled into a fear of the confrontation. Mm. You know, like that's like, that's, that's sort of at the bottom of this complex, but what it shows up as is a symptom 
is I can't say anything negative about, I can't talk about this problem that I have. I can't bring this up. It will be so horrible. It will go so badly. Right. 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 And, and, and sometimes that's true where we're talking about domestic abuse. And sometimes it's just, it's my fear. It isn't really going to bring major consequences. It isn't really going to mean I'm going to suffer something in some way, but I'm just terrified of the distance or the withdrawal or the um, possibility, or maybe it's really I'm, I'm projecting and it's my fear of what, what I would do. Um, and it's, I, I think that that's why you're saying, which makes a lot of sense, if you are experiencing divorce phobia, you're probably not going to work your way out of it without professional help. Because there's so many possibilities of what you might need to address. Yeah, that's really how I, I look at it. I mean, I, I think that um, it is by definition a condition that requires professional help. I really believe that. I think if someone could work themselves out of it, they wouldn't be in my office right. in this circumstance. Right. I'm glad you brought up the real dangers in situations of domestic abuse, because that's not really primarily what I'm right. talking about. Exactly. Divorce. Folks. Exactly. But it's a, it's a pet peeve of mine whenever, um, I think you actually sparked me to, to mention something, whenever, you know, somebody is having a conversation about, non-abusive marriages and don't sort of throw in the the little warning of by the way we're talking about a in a normal in a, in a regular situation in a non-domestic abuse situation if you're in a domestic abuse situation don't try and apply these same principles or ideas right. or rules or understandings because it's going to wind up doing you more, more harm than good so uh, something you said actually made me want to want to raise that yeah i want to right i gave the caveat like well there there can be real violence but that's not what i'm talking about right now um now but you said another thing which is a common distortion is just the the amount of self-blame or over responsibility there there are many individuals that feel a hundred percent at fault for anything that doesn't go well in their relationship it is all their fault Mm -hmm. and we really have to help people understand like listen um, your spouse is, you know, is 50% of this marriage and we can't control your spouse's behavior. We can, I can guarantee that if we never bring this up to your spouse, mm-hmm. it will never get addressed. That's the only thing we can do. We could avoid ever bringing it up, but, but we, so I think that we have to help people, you know, acknowledge that whether this succeeds or not is also up to the spouse and not just up to you. Right. Right. I'm wondering how much outside influence or outside pressure or messages or missed messages do you think, or do you have a sense contribute to this, to this notion, to this fear, to this divorce phobia, let's not talk about things because it could explode the relationship or the marriage. Um, do you feel like that plays a part in people's difficulties? You mean like culture or? You know, I don't know what I, 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 I don't know what I'm thinking about a particular, a, a particular scenario where it was so stark and so obvious the um the messages that were being you know let's avoid talking really deeply about this let's it's you know let's 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 just understand and let's avoid and 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 once this couple got in my office and i sort of i don't want to go into too many details and i sort of said no this is really a problem and we need to talk about it it's sort of just they were able, but everyone until then that they had gone to sort of try and speak out what was happening with was too was too scared themselves of the the subject matter or the volatility or the possibility of what would happen, um, and it it. 
dragged on in their suffering, it dragged their suffering on for years because the people that they had gone to, again, non-professionals, which speaks to your point about seeking professional help, um, kind of was complicit in this avoidance of, you know. Well, so, so one of the things... I mean, I, I think that's a plausible scenario. I see that as like, you know, either culture or like microculture, like the family's culture right. or the community culture. Um, but I see divorce phobia in every cultural group that I've been involved with. It's not unique to Orthodox Jews mm-hmm. um, because divorce is really, really difficult and painful to get through which is why there are far more couples that stay together despite being miserable than people who get divorced in a trivial way. I don't see a lot of people taking divorce lightly. I don't see that happening. Um, I see people afraid to address their problems for years and years and years. And I see that in every community that I work in. Um, I think it can sometimes look like a particular community has a really strong stigma about divorce, but it's really in in right. almost every community. It really I'm is. I'm thinking more that, and again, speaks to your point about real help, that when things in the face of very volatile, difficult things, the average person themselves or for their whoever, their child, or if they're mentoring somebody or their whoever, they don't really know how to help the person address it well. Right. And in addition, they also are afraid of contributing to the end of a marriage. Um, Yeah. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to encourage them to have a fight. Um, It's like that for every like high stakes endeavor, like, you know, people who have suicidal thoughts, Mm -hmm. many, many people are terrified. They'll say the wrong thing and that will like push the person over the edge and they'll commit suicide. And suicide doesn't work that way either. Actually, we know, um, you know, there it's very few scenarios that like a well-intentioned person trying to give good advice would give such bad advice on one occasion that it would like actually cause a catastrophe. It's just like not really how most things work. People are locked in inertia. Right. So what we're trying to do in therapy is get people unstuck. We're not really giving advice so much. Or there's some advice. Mm-hmm. We're trying to get people unstuck and out of their own ways and have more emotional freedom. Right. So the therapy is about, you know, expanding people's imagination having them, giving them ability to have harder conversations than they're able to have, give them the ability to toler- tolerate feelings, stronger feelings and more complex feelings than they've been able to tolerate, acknowledge things they couldn't acknowledge. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's what we're trying to help people do. We're not trying to like steer people in one direction or another. I mean, we don't have the right. power to do that. Right. I mean, we can't do that. We can't change how people think by just telling them, think it in a clear way. Right. And, you know, I think what contributes to the, um, you know, sort of the lay person in that person's life not um, not wanting to step in there is that they don't recognize that they're not going to push someone over the edge or push them into a lifelong decision by having a conversation with them, a right. frank conversation with them about whatever the subject matter is or whatever the issue is in their marriage or whatever the, the pain is in their marriage. It just, they also don't realize that it just doesn't work that way. Just because you're going to talk right. about it or let them talk about their pain. It doesn't mean now it's going to lead to action. You don't have to shut them down or, you know, not help them talk about, you know, have them not talk about it because otherwise if they talk about it, that's it. They're going to fly out of here. And I I think it's, you know, I think that most therapists have a really clear understanding and acceptance of the sad truth that there are certain marriages that were really mistakes and shouldn't have happened and that people will be much better off exiting those marriages. There are other marriages that really could be a lot better and happier and stronger than they are. And distinguishing one type of marriage from another 
isn't all that difficult to do, actually. You know, there are some marriages that are just hopeless. If someone wants to stay in that marriage for whatever reasons, we're not going to try to talk them into it. But we want to give people at least a chance of making a marriage happy. Right. Right. You know, and so I, I think that um, the lay public, a lot of the lay public has trouble with that very simple reality, actually. Yeah. I think a lot of the lay public sees every divorce as a tragedy, no matter what. Mm-hmm. And any avoidance of divorce as a success, no matter what. Whereas I would see the failure would be really that this couple doesn't open up, become more vulnerable with one another, share with each other what they're unhappy about. Many, many spouses have no idea that they're doing something that is repeatedly hurtful to the spouse. And they would love to be able to correct that in some way. Many spouses are dying to be forgiven or forgive their spouse for something that happened a long time ago. The inability to talk about that bad thing that happened many years ago. Like there are just so many situations that I think could be improved. And so um, this is one of the reasons, I, like I think you're giving exa- an example of where people on who are not professionals just have a model that, you know, divorce bad, marriage good. And the measure is not getting divorced. Success means not getting divorced, not really like improving the quality of the marriage. We want to improve the quality of the marriage. We're not afraid that improving the quality of the marriage will cause a divorce. Right. Or that even confronting really, really hard things where there is no answer to them also doesn't mean divorce. People who decide to work on things can hold two very different needs in the same space if they want to, you know, and that's another thing that makes people no, we can't talk about that because that will for sure just, I mean, there's no solution to that. There's no, you know, so we just need to not talk about it. There might not be actually be a solution to something, but not talking about it doesn't make it better. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's such a basic truth that is it sounds so simple, but sometimes that is like, you know, 90 percent of the therapeutic action is to just be able to handle what you just said, that not talking about it doesn't make it hurt less. It makes it hurt more. It really does. Right. So, Lisa, one of the things you just said is is related to another large topic in therapy that occurs in divorce phobia, but I think in every therapy, some people decide in advance, there's no point to thinking or talking about this because you can't do anything about it. And it's really just a technique to block uncomfortable thoughts. It often really isn't true that there's nothing that can be done about it. And many people say, I'm not angry because there's no point in being angry. It doesn't help. As though you can like decide what to feel because like, I'll only feel the emotions that are helpful to feel, right. you know, I, right. you know, and so th- this is just a very common thing. In a lot of hot water, uh, uh, what do you call it? Faucet and a, and a cold water. And yeah. I could do them separately and I can, I could just put on the hot water. That's not a problem. Right. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think that's another, you know, very common mindset in people who are very, very avoidant of uncomfortable affect and emotion. Mm. You know, that it's, and what it really is, is it's a rationalization. You know, that's that that's the term. It's a rationalization. I'm ascribing a logical reason. I'm not going to think or talk about this because nothing can be done. And I'm not going to feel this emotion because that emotion is illogical and unhelpful. Mm. You know, you're feeling that emotion. It just is in you. You're feeling it whether you want to or not. Right. You can't decide to not feel an emotion. Right. All you can do is make that emotion more and more forbidden, more and more dangerous, more and more secret, and it's going to exert more and more indirect effects in the person's life and cause more and more problems. Right. And if you push it down hard enough, you might not even recognize when it's doing that. And then and then it's having this effect on you that you can't even you can't even identify. So you can't do anything about it. Um, and that that leads to all sorts of, you know problems, shall we say, that behavior is a problem for acting out or acting in. Uh, yes, it's really, so it becomes a fear of identifying problems 
and identifying and feeling unpleasant emotions. Right. So that's, the, I think that divorce phobia fits in that larger tendency in people. Right. And I, you know, I think that that's what therapists are trained to do really, really well. And a lot of the lay public just doesn't get that basic idea. Right. Well, there's sort of this, you know, magical thinking uh, um, notion that gets sort of takes root and doesn't go away for some people, you know, you're supposed to grow out of it. Um, it's, it's, a, you know, developmentally appropriate in childhood, but it kind of sticks with some people that, you know, if we don't talk about it, it doesn't exist. If we won't address it, it won't really be there. Um, it, it, it feels a little bit like it, it comes from that childhood place of if I don't see you, you can't see me. Um, you know, and, and that's just fantasy. The reality is, is that it, it will exist and it will fester if it's not addressed and addressing it is not going to make things worse. It opens up the opportunity for us to make things better. Right. Yeah. So out here, do you think? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I'm going to wrap it. So let me know if it comes out, whether this is two parts or part one. You want to do part two. Let me yeah. know. Um, let me just say a, a closing. So this was. Really, wrap up. Yeah. So this was really very interesting and informative. And I think it probably gave people a lot to think about. Um, and for those who have already recognized themselves in, in this issue of being phobic, panic about the thought of addressing a problem because it might lead to divorce, then maybe we've given them some things to think about and uh, the encouragement to get some help, which I think was a really important point. Um, don't keep struggling with this alone. This is not a struggle you can get out of alone. Um, and I And I think it's a really important sort of public service announcement for, for, for you to make, for us to make, because I think that it probably, the divorce phobia keeps people from therapy because they think that that means they're going to have to open things up that will lead to divorce. So let me just hide from it and not go in the first place. And now they realize there's a, there's a way and there's a help for it. And going to a therapist is not going to lead either lead to divorce, just like having a conversation with your spouse is not going to lead to a divorce, but that they need some help getting, getting themselves to that, to that place. Um, so I, well, Lisa, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to talk about this topic with you. And I and enjoyed discussing it with you and hearing your thoughts yeah, on it. And I enjoyed you, your thoughts as well. Thank you. Have a question or a scenario you'd like to have us discuss on Creating Cashier, please email creatingcashier at gmail.com.